This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who are, have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Good, mo uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Wild Street AM. Good morning, Wild Street at Five. Good morning, St. Matt's. Uh, if I haven't met you before, I'm one of the ministers of Wild Street and St. Matt's. My name's Kurt Peters. Uh, we are going to spend some time looking at that passage there that we just looked at. Um, if you are a regular at Wild Street and St. Matt's, you know that we've looked at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 15 this year already, maybe even twice. Um, and I, I'm going to apologise, but at the same time say, blame God. It's not my fault. It just, he decided that's what we're going to look at this morning. Take it up with him. Uh, you obviously are slow learners. Uh, so let me pray and we'll see what God has to say. Father God, we just want to praise you because we get to spend some time here hearing you speak. It's not about me up the front. It's about the fact that your word is the living word of God, uh, that you speak through your word and that we can hear it as a consequence. We can meet Jesus as a consequence of hearing your word. And so we want to look at it. We want to explore it ultimately that we might know you and have relationship with you. And so for anyone here this morning who, who does not know Jesus Christ, we pray that they would have their ears opened to hear what Jesus has to say to them. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, when my son was a little boy, uh, he was scared of, you guessed it, monsters, afraid of monsters in the night, and so we looked online for uh, something to help him. And so this is what we found, we found monster spray. Okay, monster spray. So quickly, we bought our monster spray, and when it arrived home, we sat down with him and talked him through how to use monster spray. Uh, so you get scared in the night, you get your monster spray out, and you spray, you can spray it around the room actually to deter them as well. So we went around the room and sprayed it around the room. Uh, and then if you ever see one, you can play your monster spray. Anyway, do you think it worked? It worked. Monster spray worked. Uh, our son was no longer scared of monsters. Uh, his parents being in the house didn't make a difference at all. But, um, but monster spray offered him hope. Monster spray was his great hope. The question I want to consider this morning is, is that what Christian faith is? <laughs> is that what Christian faith is? Is it monster spray for the sufferings of life? Is it an imaginary friend in the sky who just helps us cope with life's realities? Uh, or, or if someone dies, makes us feel happy about where they've gone? Because hope works like that. I mean, you, read in the art you heard in the article before, this person was drawing hope from all sorts of wonderful things, glowing animals and frolicking whales. In drug trials, it's called the placebo effect, isn't it, for those who know? It, it, one group is given the right medication, another group is not given the medication. One group thinks they have the medication, but they don't. And the group that think they have medication, but they actually don't, have, it incre have reduced symptoms. And so in a drug trial, it's called the placebo group, and they're regularly helped by thinking they have the drug. It's the placebo effect. It's the effect of hope. Hope is, in a sense, it's like this mild superpower that human beings can have regardless of whether the hope is real, regardless of whether there's a firm basis to the hope. They can hope, and it can make a difference. And so is that what Christian hope is? Are we dealing with, is the, is the Bible testifying to a bunch of monster spray? A placebo? Well, in the passage we read this morning, we're going to see that Christian hope is not a placebo. That it is real hope. And as we kick into 2021, it's a hope that can transform our lives. It's a hope that enables us to face anything we might face in this upcoming year. And so the passage we just read is written about 15 to 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, the original Easter Sunday. It's written by a man named Paul. It's a letter to a group uh, in ancient Greece, a, group, a, a, church, a couple of churches, house churches in ancient Greece in a place called Corinth. And so we're actually picking it up at the end of the letter. And the first thing that Paul's going to give us in this last section of the letter is the basis of Christian hope. The basis of Christian hope. Uh, so it'll be up on the screen, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. So Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel I spoke to you. Now, the word gospel, it's not a Christian term back there. It's actually a, it's a word that simply means good news. He says, I want to remind you of the good news I spoke to you when I came to you. Now, we want to stop there and, and recognise Christian faith at its heart is not an ethical system to follow. 
Christian faith at its heart is not a list of do's and don'ts. Maybe this morning, maybe online you think that. Maybe that's what Christianity is. They try to do good things not, uh, and try not to do bad things. No. Christian, heart, Christian faith at its heart is not an ethical system. It's, neither is it a system of rituals and practices to get us spiritual enlightenment. Maybe you think that. That's what Christians do. They go to church and they do this. They do their practices, do their rituals, and it makes them more holy somehow. No. no. Christian, heart, Christian faith at its heart is news. News that is spoken. News that is believed. Well, what's the news? We read on. We find out the news has to do with historical facts, uh, historical events. So verse 3, For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, scriptures. See, Paul says this is not news he made up for himself. You know, he went off and created his own religion, or the way someone might create an app. He didn't do that. He received this news from those who saw what took place 15 years earlier, that Christ, meaning Jesus of Nazareth, uh, the carpenter's son who, who, who claims to be God's Christ or promised king, that he says here that he died, that at the request of the Jewish leaders, he was tortured, mocked, beaten. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate and the Roman guard on a hill outside Jerusalem, that he died, it says, for our sins. The news Paul declared that, was Jesus, that Jesus, God's king, came into the world to take the punishment for our sin. All the times humanity have rejected God to live our own way. He says he did that through dying on the cross in our place. He says, according to the scriptures, that is according to the predictions that it would take place, like in Isaiah 53, where it says in Isaiah 53, this is written 800 years before Jesus. It says, verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions, which is another word for sin. He was crushed for our iniquities, another word for sin. He, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. 800 years earlier, speaking about what Jesus would do on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. Next bit of news, verse 4, that he was buried. Jesus' body was removed from the cross. It was covered in burial coverings. He was placed in a new tomb outside Jerusalem, owned by a government official. A large stone was placed over the tomb so that no one could go in, a massive stone into the burial cave. And a Roman seal was placed across the front, which prevented people, basically prevented people going into the tomb because if you, if you broke the seal, you, you died. Verse 4 again, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So after dying on the Friday, all right, on Sunday, the women go to the tomb to rewrap his body because his body would have started to stink, so they'd rewrap the burial cloth, cloth. They go there, they find the stone has been moved, they look into the tomb and they see that Jesus' body is gone. Then throughout the next 40 days, Jesus, it says here, appeared to people, appeared physically to people. He appeared to the apostle Peter. He appears to the 12 apostles. He appears to up to 500 people at once, 
That's a big group of people. Then more apostles, then James. He had meals with people, all right? So he didn't, he had meals with, so he'd eat some fish on, on the seashore with his disciples and it didn't drop to the ground like he was a ghost. It went into his body. He spoke with people, he taught people. Paul says that's the news of first importance that he had brought to the Corinthians. That Jesus, God's Christ or King, died for our sin, was buried, physically rose again, appeared for 40 days to multiple people at multiple times, and then after 40 days ascended to be in heaven with his Father. Paul says that is the basis of Christian hope. That's the basis of Christian hope. So many of you will know, some of you won't, a couple of years ago I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And uh, since I started my journey with Parkinson's, I've tried a bunch of things to minimise my symptoms. That's what you do, isn't it? When you get sick, you think, what can I do? And you scour the internet looking for anything that's out there. And in my exploration, I have been constantly sold hope. Whether it's a diet, whether it's a herb, whether it's a pill, whether it's a, a, a meditation practice. Now, some things I've put my hope in have evidence. <laughs> kind of, there's some reality to them because they've studied them, people have done them, and they've brought a reduction in symptoms. That's a real hope. But other things, on the other hand, have very, very little evidence. It might have one person on the internet saying, hey, I did this and it's done, gone great. That's more like a blind hope. Paul says Christian hope is real hope. It's real hope. It's not a blind hope, a way to think positively about life. It is hope that is based on historical events that took place. If the events were true, if they really happened, then our hope is real. In fact, if they didn't, in fact, if Christian hope is based on anything but that, then it's just monster spray. Paul says, in fact, if Christian hope is not real, if it's not based on historical events that actually took place, then he says your hope is actually hopeless. So have a look with me at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Imagine saying that. He's saying you're wasting your time. Paul says, if if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our speaking to you this news that he did is a waste of time. Your believing in it is a waste of time. Verse 15, more than that, he says, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Paul says more, we're actually liars. We're getting out the front and claiming something that's actually not true. If he didn't rise, which our whole system of belief is built upon, we're lying to people about who God is and what he's done. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins this is really important he raises the great question how can we know that jesus death on the cross who when it says it took the punishment for our sins how can we know it worked 
See, Jesus wasn't the only person back then to die on a cross. It, it said in, in history, it says that there were 10,000 people at one time on one day were hung on a cross, were crucified on a cross. Jesus one of thousands. How can we know that his death on the cross provided forgiveness for our sin? The resurrection. The resurrection, Paul says. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see what he's saying here? If Christian hope is just something that soothes your anxiety or gives you direction, if it's just based on, uh, it's just based on something less than the resurrection, then that hope is hopeless. And so if you are a Christian or a churchgoer, it's not enough to come and do this Christian thing just thinking it's good for your mental health. It will be good for your mental health. But it's not enough. There's so much more. If you are not a churchgoer, it's not enough to think just to think Christian faith is like Pilates. You know, it's one option for hope alongside whales frolicking and, 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 and glowing animals. Christian faith is news that makes ultimate, uh, ultimate calls about the nature of reality. Christian faith says, oh, it basically provides a challenge. It says this, God is real or he's not. You are accountable to him or you're not. You need to be saved from your sin or you don't. Christian hope is real or it's not. Christian hope is real or it's not. And it all comes down to one question. Did Jesus come back from the dead? Did he come back from the dead? And so because that is such a crucial question on which the, you know, the whole Christian faith kind of hangs, I'm going to spend the rest of our time giving you nine quick truths that convince me that Jesus' resurrection really happened. Nine quick ones, okay? Firstly, if you, if you knew this is a starting point, let this be a starting point for you to explore these things further. So number one, the empty tomb. Uh, no ancient source denies the fact that Jesus' body was gone. And so we have both secular, that's non-Christian, and Christian sources. Uh, you occasionally get the, the odd fiction writer who starts talking about Jesus, you know, heading off to India, having kids with Mary Magdalene. Uh, but no serious historian actually holds to that view. Next question, was the body stolen? Was it just stolen? See, that was the concern of the Jews back then. They think, oh, what if his disciples come and steal the body and claim that he'd risen? We know that it was guarded night and day by Roman soldiers. If Jesus' body went missing, these guys would have lost, not just lost their job, they would have lost their life. And so here, we, the first thing, Jesus' body went missing, all right? But if that's all Christians are claiming, hey, there was a missing body, that would be not enough to prove resurrection. It just means his body went missing. Second, he physically appeared multiple times to different people. All right, so Paul is writing 15 years after the original Easter, after Jesus' resurrection, and he's saying in his letter, 500 people saw him at once. 
And these people were alive, were they not, at the time of writing, 15 years later, you'd think most of them. And so he's saying, if these things are not true, then these people could deny it. Empty tomb, multiple sightings, third, multiple accounts. We don't just have one person saying that it happened. We have multiple eyewitnesses together in the Bible. And so that's what you have. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, the question is, can we trust these four accounts of Jesus' life? A number of years ago, there was a book uh, called The Leading Lawyer's Look at the Resurrection. Uh, It was by a man named Ross Ross Clifford, who was a former lawyer. What he did was he interviewed uh, a number of uh, top barristers and lawyers, asking them whether they could consider the written Bible accounts as true eyewitness accounts in a court of law. Okay, so they have certain tests that they have to, te- to validate whether it's a good eyewitness account. He said, apply those tests to the New Testament accounts. And so as you go through the book, you see each lawyer concluding, yes. Empty tomb, multiple sightings, multiple accounts for the volume and accuracy of the manuscripts. The manuscripts is another word for the documents we have with the writings of the New Testament on it. We have more copies of the New Testament, so it's like 5,795 than any other ancient work. The closest is Homer's Iliad, which is in the 1500s. You have 5,000 of the Bible. Uh, We have earlier copies of the Gospels than anything else. So our earliest copies of the Gospels are like 30 to 40 years after, like one generation. Every other ancient work that people would think was history is more like in the thousands. Not only that, when you compare all the manuscripts, so you take, so I threw out 5,795 manuscripts across this room, and they're all little bits of the Bible all put together, and we pumped them into a computer and we compared how accurate they were to each other, then you see that they're 99.5% accurate. All right, the, the differences between the manuscripts are small things like, uh, like certain words, but it doesn't change essentially the meaning, the, the meaning of any sentence. So we have what they wrote. Empty tomb, multiple sightings, multiple accounts, accurate manuscripts. Fifth, the change in the disciples. What happened? His followers went from scared men who, when he died, took off running away to bold speakers who got killed for saying that he'd risen from the dead. And then the movement that followed from these 12 uneducated Jewish men was extraordinary. It's estimated by 300 AD, there were five to seven million Christians in the ancient world. Something significant happened to change these men and start this movement. Okay, now, at this point, you might still be cynical about that. Uh, You might be thinking, maybe these guys were really good marketers. Okay, maybe they'd figured out, they'd gone into ancient Google trends and figured out that Uh, Jesus and religion was really trending and so why don't we build a religion around that and and then we'll get a following for ourselves and we'll build a mass and power. Maybe they were taking advantage of Jesus' mania. Uh, Tell me, I'll, I'll give you a bunch of reasons why that's not the case. Number six, you couldn't sell a crucified king. You couldn't sell a crucified king. To the Jewish people, a crucified, crucified people were considered cursed. Uh, even the Romans, all right, the dominant group at the time, even the Romans would not crucify their own citizens because it was so shameful. The idea of a crucified king to sell your leader is, was an absolute nonsense. 
It's not cool. Number seven, you couldn't sell physical resurrection. So the Greeks thought that the body was bad, but the spirit was good. Okay, the spirit within us is good, the body was bad. Therefore, the idea of physical resurrection was an absolute joke. Only the, and then if you look at the Jewish people, only the smallest groups of the Jews actually believed in the resurrection, the Pharisees. They, they were the only ones. The embarrassing, so that's number seven. The embarrassing, number eight, the embarrassing honesty of the gospel accounts. If you look at the gospel records, the people who were first to, to the tomb, to eyewitnesses, were women. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal for us, but back then, women were not even allowed to give evidence in a courtroom. They couldn't act as witnesses because their word was not trusted. If you wanted to sell your religion based on the fact that your leader raised from the dead, then you don't mention the women. You do not mention the women. Empty tomb, multiple sightings, multiple accounts, the massive amounts of accurate manuscripts, the change in the disciples, the embarrassing honesty and unsellability of the message. That's a taste of the evidence. But there's one more thing I want to share with you this morning. And it's a less, well, it's a less reliable form of evidence, but it's personal to me. At 20 years of age, I had no belief in God. So I grew up uh, going to Roman Catholic school, being taught about religion, being taught about this Christian faith thing. But it actually never was the monster spray that I thought it would be. <laughs> never did anything for me. Uh, so I wandered away. I didn't even think it was real. It seemed, in fact, like it took the good things in life and kind of removed them away and the things that I really wanted to do. But there was a moment for me at Torquay Beach in Victoria where I was by myself and I don't remember intentionally saying, hey, I'm going to pray to God. But I just spoke. And I said to the God who I didn't know was there or not, I said, if you're there, you're going to have to show me that you're real. And so a couple of weeks later, I was, uh, I'd, I'd been attending a church that someone had invited me to. Um, they'd given me this book and I was reading it late at night at home by myself and there was this short story in the book about what it meant for God the Father to send Jesus into the world to die for me. And in that moment in my bed 22 years ago, I met the resurrected Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean there were bright lights, no. Was there, was there an audible voice? No. But in that moment there was an awareness that Jesus was real. That Jesus was real. Now, was it just something I ate? <laughs> I, I just ate the wrong thing or I smoked the wrong thing? No. Because the awareness that he is real has been with me every day for the last 22 years. In fact, there have been times when I have not wanted that to be true. Where I've thought to myself, that is just too hard to believe that. I have uh, extended family. I have friends who do not believe in that resurrected Jesus, who haven't put their trust in what he did for them. And when you come to that crunch point and you think to yourself, do I really want to believe that they're under his judgment? You think, no, I don't want to. 
but I can't get away from the fact that he is real. See, that's just some of the evidence for the reality that Jesus rose from the dead, which is the real hope for Christians. It's real hope based on the real truth that Jesus died and rose and is alive again today. And so as we look at 2021, as you look at 2021, I don't know what your 2021 has been like. I can, I can guess that there have been difficulties like everyone else. But I guess my challenge to you this morning, if you someone who trusts in that living Jesus, that resurrected Jesus, if he is your hope, then I want to challenge you this morning, how is that going to shape your 2021? How's it going to shape your suffering? Whether you get sick this year, whether you get a chronic illness, whether you get an acute illness, how is it going to shape your suffering? How is it going to shape your grief when you experience loss? How is knowing that Jesus is risen and that is true, that is real, that he is on his throne, he's got everything under control, that he's good, how is that shaping your suffering? How is that shaping your serving? Paul in this section in 1 Corinthians 15, at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 says, because of the resurrection, he he continues to do the work of the Lord. He has this hope that means that he keeps speaking about Jesus. And so as you've gone through 2020, maybe you've talked to people in your family, maybe you've talked to your friends and neighbours and felt a little bit hopeless about them ever believing in Jesus. Let the resurrection, that Jesus is risen, be your hope for 21, to keep speaking about him to keep serving others like him to keep making your life about looking like the Lord Jesus how is the how's the hope of the risen Jesus shaping your family life how is it shaping the way you do parenting are you taking seriously parents your responsibility to model to your children what it looks like to have a relationship with this living Jesus? How is the risen Jesus and the hope we have in him, how is it shaping your money? The way you use your money? The things you're investing in? It's really easy to think, I've got all this money here, I'm going to invest for this, 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 because our hope is this place called retirement or a couple of years when we retire early or, or, or later life where we feel like, oh, what if I don't have enough? We, we become very, very wise at investing in those things. How wise are you in investing for eternity? In putting money into things that will see people's lives saved by Jesus. The new creation filled with people that when you enter in will give you a high five, even though you didn't know How is the risen Jesus and the hope you have in him shaping your 2021? But if this morning you are not someone who's put your trust in the Lord Jesus, if that's not your hope, then I want to challenge you today to consider. I gave you a handful of evidence. Maybe at each point you thought to yourself, oh, nah, 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 nah. You pushed it off, you pushed it off, you pushed it off. My challenge to you this morning is to say, talk to God about it. Talk to God. If if he's real, put it to him. 
Say to God, God, if you're real, you're going to show me how. And then don't just get passive and think he's going to turn up in like, like a Superman coming down. Get active. Get active. I didn't, I didn't just say to God, hey, God, if you're real, you'll come down and show me and then not have, any in, like, have no contact with anything to do with him. I looked at the evidence. Ask the question, look at the evidence. Now, Rog talked about the, to- the course before, Intro Jesus. That is the perfect way to look at the evidence for yourself. And so if you'd like to be a part of that course, whether you're on Facebook Live this morning, uh, whether you're here with us this morning, make sure you fill out the QR code. Get the QR code. Let us know that you want to do Intro Jesus. Friends, we have a living hope. He rose from the dead. He really did. And so it changes everything. And let's praise him for it. Father God, we're, uh, we're starting 2021 um, we, with a little bit of fear, Lord, because 2020 has been hard and we don't know what it looks like next year, but we do know this. We know that your son Jesus is risen from the dead. We know that he is now the king of the universe, that he's, in, he's a good king in control of everything, including our lives. And so, Father, help us to shape our whole existence this year based on that living King Jesus and who he is and what he's done and help us live in relationship with him each and every day. Father, for those people here this morning and online who have not explored the evidence of Jesus and his resurrection, speak to them now. Challenge them now. That they would ask you that simple question. Are you real? In Jesus' name. Amen.